be seated. You turn in your Bibles to uh, Daniel chapter 5. Daniel 5, it's found on page 881. I have a sinus infection, so be patient (laughs) with me this morning. Daniel chapter 5. King Belshazzar made a great feast. (laughs) We'll start that over one more time. (laughs) Thank you, Julie, for getting everyone's attention. (laughs) King Belshazzar made a great feast for a thousand of his lords and drank wine in front of the thousand. Belshazzar, when he tasted the wine, commanded that the vessels of gold and of silver that Nebuchadnezzar, his father, had taken out of the temple in Jerusalem be brought that the king and his lords, his wives, and his concubines might drink from them. Then they brought in the golden vessels that had been taken out of the temple, the house of God in Jerusalem, and the king and the lords, his wives, and the concubines drank from them. They drank wine and praised gods of gold and silver, bronze, iron, wood, and stone. Immediately the finger of a human hand appeared and wrote on the plaster of the wall of the king's palace opposite the lampstand. And the king's And the king saw the hand as it wrote. Then the king's color changed, and his thoughts alarmed him. His limbs gave way, and his knees knocked together. The king called loudly to bring in the enchanters, the Chaldeans, and the astrologers. Uh, The king declared to the wise men of Babylon, Whoever reads this writing and shows me its interpretation shall be clothed with purple, and and have a chain of gold around his neck, and shall be the third ruler in the kingdom. Then all the king's wise men came in, but they could not read the writing or make known to the king the interpretation. Then King Belshazzar was greatly alarmed, and his color changed, and his lords were perplexed. The queen, because of the words of the king and his lords, came into the banqueting hall, and the queen declared, O king, live forever. Let not your thoughts alarm you or your color change. There is a man in your kingdom in whom the spirit of the holy gods is the spirit of the holy gods. In the days of your father, light and understanding and wisdom, like the wisdom of the gods, were found in him. And King Nebuchadnezzar, your father, your, your father the king, made him chief of the magicians, enchanters, Chaldeans, and astrologers, because an excellent spirit, knowledge, and understanding to interpret dreams, explain riddles, and solve problems were found in this Daniel, whom the king named Belshazzar. Now let Daniel be called, and he will show the interpretation. Then Daniel was brought in before the king. The king answered and said to Daniel, You are that Daniel, one of the exiles of Judah, whom the king my father brought from Judah. I have heard of you, that the spirit of the gods is in you, and that the light of understanding and excellent wisdom are found in you. Now the wise men, the enchanters, have been brought in before me to read this writing and make known to me its interpretation, but they could not show the interpretation of, of the matter. But I have heard that you can give interpretations and solve problems. Now, if you can read the writing and and make known to me its interpretation, you shall be clothed with purple and have a chain of gold around your neck and shall be third ruler in the kingdom. Then Daniel answered and said before the king, Let your gifts be for yourself and give your rewards to another. Nevertheless, I will read the writing to the king and make known to him the interpretation. O king, the most high God, 
O King, the Most High God gave Nebuchadnezzar, your father, kingship and greatness and glory and majesty. And because of the greatness that he gave him, all peoples, nations, and languages trembled and feared um, before him, whom he would, whom he would, he killed, and whom he, he would, he kept alive, whom he would, he raised up, and whom he would, he humbled. But when the heart was lifted up and his spirit was hardened so that he dealt proudly, he was brought down from his kingly throne and his glory was taken from him. He was driven from among the, ch the children of mankind and his mind was made like that of a beast and his dwelling was with the wild donkeys. He fed, um, he fed grass like an ox and his body was wet with the dew of heaven until he knew that the Most High God rules the kingdom of mankind and sets over it whom he will. And you, son, Belshazzar, have now humbled your heart, though you knew all this, but you have lifted up yourself against the Lord of heaven, and the vessels of his house have been brought in before you, um, and you and your lords, your wives and your concubines have drunk wine from them, and you have praised the gods of silver and gold, of bronze, iron, wood, and stone, which do not see or hear or know, but the God in whose hand is your breath, and whose are all your days you have not honored. Uh, then from his presence the hand was great, and this writing was inscribed. And this is the writing that was inscribed, Men, Men, Tekel, Parson. This is the interpretation of the matter. Mean, God has numbered the days of your kingdom and brought it to an end. Tekel, you have been weighed in the balances and found wanting. Perez, your kingdom is divided and given to the Medes and the Persians. Then Belshazzar gave the command, and Daniel was clothed with purple. A chain of gold was put around his neck, and a proclamation was made about him that he should be the third ruler in the kingdom. That very night, Belshazzar, the, the Chaldean king, was killed, and Darius, the Mede, received the kingdom, being about 62 years old. On March 19, 2003, Sudan, Hussein and his sons, Uda and Kusa, invited a few of their close friends and advisors to have dinner with them in an exclusive restaurant in downtown Baghdad. They did this despite the fact that invasion seemed like it was going to happen right away. It was imminent. Saddam and his sons, you know, they were used to the good life. And they weren't about to let this threat bother them in any way, and so they just continued on like they normally did. He didn't seem concerned that their enemy was crouching right at their borders. Well, apparently while they were eating, someone tipped off some of our special forces troops that were operating in the area, and President Bush ordered a strategic strike. And Saddam's dinner party came to an end when a cruise missile slammed into the building that they were eating in. Saddam and his sons, they survived this attack, but it was really the beginning of the end because it wasn't long after this that he was uh, deposed, that he was killed. Saddam liked to compare himself to the great Babylonian king Nebuchadnezzar. In fact, he spent millions of dollars restoring Babylon, at least starting to.
Babylon was about 50 miles away um, from Baghdad along the Euphrates River. And as I've mentioned to you in, in previous weeks, it really was quite the city once upon a time. The city of Babylon was like New York today. I mean, it was the epitome of where life was, where culture was. Everything seemed to be happening there, and the king thought that no one, no one could ever attack them there. No one could attack his kingdom. I've mentioned to you before about the hanging gardens of Babylon, which Nebuchadnezzar had built for his wife. They were one of the seven wonders of the ancient world. It was a beautiful city. From a military viewpoint, the city of Babylon seemed like it was impossible to conquer. Impossible. The wall surrounding it was 85 feet high. It was 18 miles long. All around the city, the wall. 18 miles long. It was huge. Historians also say the wall extended 35 feet underground so that no one could try to dig under. There was at least a hundred towers were placed on top of the wall in case there was attack. And there was also a moat around the entire city that was 35 feet wide. Historians tell us that in the city of Babylon, there was a 20-year supply of food. At all times, there was a 20-year supply of food in case they were ever um, attacked and, and there was a siege. They figured they could outlast it. And the Euphrates River also flowed through the heart of the city, which guaranteed that there would always be fresh water. Perhaps these things are what made the king so, I don't know, cocky. And he didn't seem overly concerned about his enemy that was laying siege to, laying siege to the city. And on top of it all, while this is all happening, he decides to have a party and invite a thousand of his officials and nobles and talk about dangers right at your door and you're inside partying because you don't think that there's anything an enemy could ever do to you. Keep in mind that King Belshazzar, he's actually the great-grandson of King Nebuchadnezzar, the great-grandson. So 25 years around, 25 years have passed from chapter 4 to chapter 5, just so you kind of get an idea of what's been going on. And in that time period, they forgot all about Daniel. Once upon a time, he was mighty in the kingdom. Everyone looked up to him, but as time went by, went on, he just got kind of pushed off to the side until they needed him. Like Saddam Hussein and his sons, Belshazzar, he wasn't about to let a little thing like the threat of war keep him from having a, a good time. And so he chose to party. At some point during the feast, Belshazzar ordered his servants to bring out the silver and gold goblets that were taken from the temple in, in Jerusalem. Now, think about this. 25 years had passed, if not more. Why was the king thinking about these gold and silver vessels? Why was it so important for him to bring those out during this feast, during this party? I think it's clear. It just shows his contempt for God. Because he let everyone drink from him. He was clearly saying that 
Yahweh, we don't believe in you. We, we trust in our, our idols, our gods, the gods of our kingdom. Clearly, he was defying the Israelite God. I think you could say he also he was challenging Yahweh. Another clue that there's more going on here with the dinner than what meets the eye is, again, the end of uh, verse 3, we're told that the king invited the wives and concubines of his nobles to the dinner. Normally, you didn't do this. But he did this specifically, I think, because uh, in their culture, this was part of their worship of Marduk. This tells us that this feast is more than just having a good time, but they're recognizing their god Marduk, and one of the ways that you worship this god was through these sexual relationships that you had. Kind of think of uh, Mardi Gras, New Orleans, or a carnival in Brazil, but a thousand times worse. At the time, the Babylonians mainly worshipped the god Marduk, who was also known as Bel, which means Lord, or the Great Lord, Later, his name would be known as something a little more familiar to us, and that's Baal. At the time of King Belshazzar's reign, some form of the Tower of Babel was still present, though it was a lot shorter than it used to be. And it was now dedicated to Marduk or or Baal. And since worship of Baal involved human sacrifices and sexual orgies, again, you kind of get an idea of what was going on that night. Clearly, King Belshazzar was making quite clear what he thought of Yahweh. While they were having this party, the hand of God appeared and began to write on the, on the wall opposite the lampstands in front of the king. You've probably heard the expression, the handwriting is on the wall, and that's where this actually originated from. In other words, there is no denying the truth that is right before your eyes. Plain as could be, it's the handwriting on the wall. Our text says when the king saw the writing on the wall, he started to get so scared, he turned pale, probably white as a ghost, and his knees started to shake. Clearly, he wasn't so brave, was he? Of course, Belshazzar, he didn't know what the message said, so he summoned all the wise men in Babylon to come and and interpret it. And while they knew what those words meant, they weren't foreign words, they didn't know how to apply them or what they had to do with with the king or or the kingdom of, of Babylon. And so the king promised that he would promote the individual who could interpret the writing since no one could. He was really at a loss of what to do. Well, soon after, the queen came in to see what all the racket was about and The queen was either uh, Belshazzar's mother or grandmother, more than likely. And she tells the king that there was one who could interpret this. And that he had done it for King Nebuchadnezzar and he could do it for for him as well. And, And so they brought Daniel out. Daniel's probably about 80 at this point. And the king tries to butter him up and say, I'm going to give you all this wealth and make you a, an important ruler. Again, with the subtle hint that this better be good and this better be positive. 
Well, Daniel says you can keep all that. I don't want it. But I'm going to tell you exactly what it means. And he did even more than that. Not only did he interpret those words, but he gave him a little history lesson. First, he reminds the king of his family's history. Belshazzar may have been ignoring God, but God wasn't ignoring Belshazzar. Daniel reminded the king of how God had blessed his grandfather and allowed him to make Babylon the the, the great empire that it was. But that greatness had gone to Nebuchadnezzar's head, and he became proud, he became boastful. And so we, we looked at that story of what happened to King Nebuchadnezzar, how he lost his mind for a while, for seven years. Um, eating grass um, with the dew on his back, on his head, living out in, um, in the fields. Um, great fall. This mighty king who used to be up here is now humbled and is lower than, than even an animal. Well, Daniel lowered the boom, so to speak, on Belshazzar when he says, But you, O king, even though you knew all this, even though you knew what had happened to your grandfather, Nezer, you made the very same mistake. You also failed to humble yourself before the king. What boldness. Oh, to be like Daniel, huh? At that moment, to speak the word of God and to not mince words, but to tell him like it is. Boy, may we be like that as well. Second Daniel tells the king that he had dishonored the one true God. He had dishonored and mocked Yahweh by taking those gold and silver goblets that had been dedicated to Yahweh and defiling them and using them to worship the idols around them and to make them common. Instead of worshiping the God who held the king's life in his hands, he chose to worship idols that couldn't see or hear or even understand. I'm, I'm sure the king grew up hearing stories about Grandpa Nezer, about what he had done, and the change that had come over him after those years of insanity and how God continued to bless him and bless the, the, the great empire of, of Babylon. But our, our good king, he ignored all that. He ignored it. And he became just like his grandpa. Finally, the king was judged by the living God and found wanting. Because none of the magicians or astrologers in the kingdom understood what the writing meant, Daniel interprets it for the king. And this is the inscription that was written. Mean, mean, tekel, parson. Mean means numbered. Tekel means weighed. And the last one means divided. God says mean, mean. God has numbered the days of your reign and brought it to an end. All your plans are coming to an end. All your dreams and ambitions are coming to an end. Your time on earth is finished. It's time for you to face eternity without God because of your choices. And God had Daniel say those words twice, mean, mean. Well, it was the handwriting on the wall, but it was repeated twice to let the king know that judgment was coming immediate, that he wouldn't have to wait. And then tekel, you have been measured and weighed on God's scales and found wanting. Belshazzar had weighed 
his chances of survival, but he used the wrong scales. He thought he was a heavyweight, but compared to God, he was just a lightweight. All of the defiance, disobedience, idolatry, selfishness, it now condemned the king. There was nothing he could do but confess it. Confess it before God and maybe even repent. But we know that he was unwilling to do that. He was too proud. And lastly, fares or fars, your, your kingdom is divided and given to the Medes and the Persians. Everything that you counted as being important to you, that you staked your life on, it's, it's nothing. You're going to find that it's now worthless. Those things that you thought were yours, they're not. I'm about to give them away. If only King Belshazzar had repented, but again, his pride was way too strong. He shows no remorse. Fully he had humbled himself before Yahweh. But again, he was too proud. He thinks he's invincible. He thinks the city he lives in is invincible, impenetrable. If only he had known that his enemies at that very moment had, divided, had diverted the, the Euphrates River into a marsh. And soon after this, all the soldiers would march under the city walls on the riverbed and take the city and open the gates. Truly the wages of sin is death. Mean, mean, tekel, parson. Numbered, numbered, weighed, and found wanting. Can you imagine how horrible it would be to one day stand before God and for God to say that to you? Or for God to say that to me? Mean, mean, tekel, parson. Numbered, weighed, and found wanting. To be found wanting before God, to not measure up to his standards, to be condemned by God's righteousness and justice. What a horrible proposition. To know that there's no hope, that it's too late, that you waited too long. To stand condemned before God, judged on the scales of his very essence of who he was and found guilty. I couldn't imagine anything worse. But praise God, the writing on our wall, it doesn't end there, does it? Despite the wages of sin being death, the Bible says the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. You know that word of judgment has been proclaimed. Yet in Jesus Christ, there's forgiveness, there's salvation. The condemnation has been taken from us. And so for all who put their faith in Jesus, who've been washed in his blood, they've become children of God. People can easily mistake in God's patience as his being lenient towards sin, but that's the farthest thing from the truth. God hates our sin. You just have to look at the cross. That's proof of it. He hates our sin. He hates it so much he was willing to send his one and only son to die on the cross. And so we have to ask ourselves, do we hate sin as much as he does? 
Are we going to take it as serious as God does? It's so easy to just look at some sins in our life and say, well, it's so small. Not, not a big deal. It is a big deal. Everything, all that sin, all the things that are pulling us away from the Lord, we've got to lay them at the cross of Jesus. We need to walk in freedom. The freedom of Christ. Because without Christ, there's no escaping judgment. Just as this king found out. This is what the Apostle Paul teaches in 2 Corinthians 5.10. When he says, one day we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. That each one may receive what is due him. again, we don't have to fear that day, do we? Because of the love of Christ. Because of what he accomplished on the cross. Jesus had the final say. Thankfully, the blood of Jesus blots out the handwriting of condemnation that has been written across all our lives. There's power in the blood to save. King Belshazzar had no idea on the day of his feast that That was going to be his last. The Lord would call his name that night. What about you? Are you ready? If this was your last day here on earth, are your affairs in order? Are you ready to meet with God? To stand before his throne? Do you know Jesus? Have your sins been taken away in Christ? In these last days in which we live, I hope each of you will dare to be a Daniel. Let's pray. Father in heaven, may we, Lord, dare to be like Daniel. May we stand firmly upon your word. May we stand firmly on the rock that can't be moved. Lord, we thank you for the example of Daniel as well as, Lord, the example of this king of what not to do. Lord, again, how much you hate pride, how we need to humble ourselves before you. Father, we just pray that this good news that you've shared with us, may we not keep it to ourselves, but may we share it with those around us so that they too might know your grace, your mercy, your love, so that the condemnation will be taken away forever. Fill us with your Holy Spirit. Enable us to do what we could never on our own. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen.